Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. We hope you enjoy this week's message. I've always wondered why people say bless you when someone sneezes. I'm going to start this on a very high theological plane, all right? I've always wondered, and I've heard little things here or there about what that might be. Uh, Evidently, though, I've been digging deep, doing a lot of research. Evidently, this um, custom began, at least in a Christian context, during the bubonic plague epidemic of the 6th century. Uh, There was this terrible plague that spread uh, particularly across Europe, and um, one of the uh, symptoms of the plague was sneezing. And Pope Gregory the Great, the Pope at that time, started saying, bless you, as a type of prayer when somebody would sneeze. He was praying that God would save them from sickness. And uh, interestingly enough, at least for me, um, virtually every culture has some form of that sentiment when someone sneezes. In the German, it's, how do you say it? Gesundheit, right? Gesundheit means uh, be in good health. And um, so this idea is that when someone sneezes, they're either about to get sick or they are sick, and it's a prayer that God will bring that person to good health. Now, I've never been a bless you when you sneeze person. I've, I don't know why, I just, I, I've never understood it. And uh, we didn't say that in my house when I was a kid. And so, though it seems like every, you can be anywhere. You can be on a subway with a bunch of grouchy people. You can be walking through a museum. You can be sitting at a ball game. When you sneeze, somebody, especially in this part of the world, says bless you. And what they don't know is they're praying a prayer that God will give you good health and save you either from impending sickness or from immediate sickness. And so I think from now on, I'm going to be a bless you person. Just try me. You sneeze during this message and I'm going to bless you. What what are we saying? Bless you. May God be with you. May he save you from sickness and bring you back to good health. Now, as odd as it may seem, that phrase actually captures the heart of God for people in ways cosmically large and day-to-day detail small. Now, here's what I want to talk about today and over the next few weeks. It's really kind of simple, and it's this. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless you. This has been the heart of God from the beginning. I've been doing a lot of thinking in recent months about how God's relationship with humanity began with God's blessing. It's not unusual for me to go back to the beginning to explain anything from Scripture. I often go to Genesis 1, 26 and 27, which is the first time God spoke to humanity and where he gave humanity basically their job description. And I think everything in the entire Bible, everything in human history, is a response to this passage. But I'm not quite sure why, though I've taught from this text, I'm sure, many hundreds of times 
over the years. It's just in recent months that I've been struck by the context of what God said to people for the first time. It's this, so God created mankind in his own image. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over every living creature that moves on the ground. Again, most of the time I'm talking about how God purposed humanity in that moment. But before he purposed humanity, God blessed them. What does this say about the heart of God towards those he created when human history begins with God blessing these people that he's made? This is no small thing. Now, let's kind of treat this definitionally for a few moments. Um, uh, I've been reading quite a bit about this in recent weeks, and it's, it's interesting how, though on one hand the idea of blessing can kind of be ambiguous, there does seem to be agreement as to what it means in its most basic form. So uh, Trimper Longman, a, a, a biblical scholar who, who uh, wrote a wonderful book called How to Read Genesis, he said this. He said, blessing seems a rather amorphous concept at first. We know it is good, but what exactly it entails is a bit more difficult to delineate. And then he defines blessing. He writes, God's blessing on people involves his positive regard for them, the desire to see that they enjoy the truly good things in life. A great uh, Genesis scholar, Dr. John Walton, in his commentary on Genesis wrote this, when God blesses someone, he puts that person under his care and protection and in his favor. If someone seeks out a blessing for oneself, one seeks to put oneself under the care and protection of God and to gain his favor. And then Walton goes on in another place, broadly speaking, a blessing is an offering of God's favor if it comes from God or a wish for God's favor if it comes from humans. Uh, interestingly enough, though these guys are treating this idea in its Hebrew etymology, English dictionaries basically say the same thing. A few definitions from an English dictionary, blessing is God's favor and protection, or a prayer asking for God's favor and protection, or the thing that happens as a result, a beneficial thing for which one is grateful, something that brings well-being. So it's what God offers us, a blessing, it's, or it's a prayer where we pray for God's blessing, or it's the thing that happens as a result of God's offering or God's answering our prayer. We can say we are blessed. Now, here's how I'd like to define this concept, and this is what we'll kind of work off of in coming weeks. To be blessed is to be in a harmonious relationship with God. Obviously, this is from a scriptural perspective and kind of trying to sum this theme up that's treated so often through the Bible. To be blessed is to be in a harmonious relationship with God who is for us and doing good in us, to us, and through us. 
So I'll say it again, and if you'd like, of course, you can follow along in your life notes if you're new to us and perhaps aren't aware. If you want to, there's a little note thing in a seat back pocket close to you, and you can follow along and take notes if you want or doodle or write notes to the people beside you. Anyway, here's the definition. To be blessed is to be in harmonious relationship with God who is for us and who is doing good to us, in us, and through us. Now again, back to the main point. God wants to bless us. The word bless or blessed or blessing is used more than 500 times in Scripture. One could say that the whole theme of Scripture is God's desire to bless humanity. You say, how can you make a point that large? The very first thing, the very first interaction between God and humanity is God bless them. But whether or not one would say that about the whole of Scripture, one must say that the theme of Genesis, the book of beginnings, is God's desire to bless humanity. Now, over the next four months, especially in our daily devotional readings, we're going to dig into Genesis. Now, I've mentioned this before. If, if you don't want to grow you're probably not going to want to participate in our trimester spiritual growth plan. If you don't want to learn, really, stay away from it. Don't ask that the devotional get sent to you every week because if you read that, you are going to learn so much, you are going to grow so much, and you know, if you're not into growing, just please don't touch it. Please don't touch the spiritual growth plan. In all seriousness, our team, led by Christian in this regard, who most of you know is a, a scholar in his own right, does a great job taking the big concepts that there's limited time to talk about on a Sunday and helping people dig deep in that. And we're going to dig deep into Genesis verse by verse in our devotional plan. Why are we going to talk about Genesis? We're going to talk about Genesis because it's where this whole idea of God's blessing gets launched. One thing one must say, again, is that the theme of Genesis is God's desire to bless humanity. Read the best scholars, and that's essentially, at least those I've read, I've not read them all, what they say. This, Genesis, being about God's desire to bless us is no small thing because Genesis is the book of beginnings. It tells us what God wanted us to know about his intentions for the world and the people he created. You want to know what was on God's mind when when he started this whole thing, you read Genesis and you learn what was on his mind. Let's talk about Genesis in an introductory way for a few moments. It's important to note that Genesis was not written in a vacuum. Genesis may be the oldest part of our Bible, but it was not the oldest literature in the ancient world. Something I've uh, never taught about before as far as I remember, but this is actually kind of important to know. Uh, Genesis was not the oldest literature in the ancient Near East. There was a body of mythological literature which predated Moses and Moses beginning to write Genesis. And this body of mythological literature comes from Mesopotamia, Egypt, and other ancient Near Eastern cultures. And these mythologies told stories of how 
God's, and I have to generalize because I'm going to sum up a lot of uh, literature which predates Genesis, but in general, these mythologies tell stories of how gods and goddesses created the world and humanity, and many of them tell stories of a great flood that destroyed the earth. These stories are crazy. Um, uh, again, to overgeneralize, there are stories of things like wars between gods and goddesses and procreation between gods and goddesses, and there are reasons for creating humanity, which typically has something to do with about how the gods needed slaves to do their menial work. Again, it's an overgeneralization, but it pretty much captures what was going on in the, in, the, in the pagan polytheism that was prevalent when Genesis began to be read and very important to what was in the mind of the people to whom Moses was directing Genesis. People who just spent 400 years in Egypt exposed to this kind of narrative about why the world had come into existence and how how it had come into existence and this, this pantheons of gods and goddesses who were, who were not uh, restricted by any moral qualities, but who were just, well, it's, you read them, it's just a little bit crazy. Genesis was written, at least in part, to tell a different story about the one true God. The God, the God, who created the world out of love and created people that he wanted to be in relationship and to bless. Actually, an interesting apologetic, as a side note, is how that the existence of all this other literature points to this basic uh, moral cause uh, that says that there has to be an explanation for how the world came to be and also points to things, let's say, like the flood, which was commonly understood in primeval history to have actually happened. And the first 11 chapters of Genesis seem to be a pretty direct response to the other things that were being said about how the world had come to be and certain major events that had happened, and, and it, it tells in a broad way, the story of primeval history, which, which Genesis 1 through 11 covers, uh, it seems, uh, 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 much, much more time than everything found in Genesis 12, beginning with Abraham 4,000 years ago, to this point in history. And it's a fascinating thing to consider. But here comes Moses now, as probably, as best as can be understood, probably as God's people were in the exodus from their 400 years of captivity in slavery, here comes Moses now all of a sudden receiving a revelation from God about the true story of what was up why the world had been made, to some extent how the world had been made, what the reason for it was, and especially what was it that God had in mind when he created people. 
And it's as if Moses was writing and saying, hey, look, guys, the stories that you heard in Egypt about how the world came to be, they're not true. Here's what really happened. And it was a completely different story than any that had ever been written. In part, it's the story about one God in three persons functioning in perfect unity as opposed to gods and goddesses crazy in their relationships with one another. It's the story of a good God, of a God who rejoiced in his creation and called it good. The point of Genesis isn't, guys, how long creation took or what exact means God used. Genesis is not a science manual. It wasn't a response to Darwin. It was a response to lies that had been told about what was in the heart of God when the world was created. The point was for God to show up now and to dispel the other creation myths and to reveal himself as the creator of the world and to tell us what he wanted us to know about his nature and the nature of his relationship to people. You have to understand then what a tremendous thing it was for these people all the way back 3,500 years ago when Moses started to write this, to hear this creation story and to hear that God created people and that God blessed them. This must have been stunningly good news. God loves people. He wants to have intimate relationship with people. He had a purpose for people. He blessed people. See, that changed everything. The world had not contemplated that God might be that kind of God. Then you see these distinctions that start to be made between the one true God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and his seed, the God of now Christians. It's a different kind of story, the one true God over against pagan polytheism. You see things like uh, Dr. John Walton lays out some of the kind of differences you see. I'll just touch on them a little bit so as to not completely put you to sleep. But, you know, the God of the Bible shows up revealing himself as the ultimate power in the universe. He answers to no one, and there are no limitations on his jurisdiction, whereas the mythological narratives from pagan polytheism have these gods, small g, com with competing agendas and limited jurisdictions, uh, battling with each other, and even th the entire pantheon didn't uh, even claim to exercise ultimate sovereignty. In the, the, with the God of the Bible, we see that God is consistent in his character and has bound himself by his attributes, which is to say God is morally, God is good, and he has all power, but he only acts in power when it's in line with his nature. This was new. This was not something anybody had ever considered about, about the gods because in pagan polytheism, deity was not bound by any code of conduct. Uh, a deity was inconsistent and unpredictable and accountable only uh, marginally to the whole of, 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 of deity. Um, in, in, the, in for, from Moses, we learn that 
God's will and purposes and nature were now going to become a matter of public record. In other words, God shows up to Moses and God says, I want to tell you about myself and I want to have you write this down so people can learn the things about me that I want them to know. Whereas uh, this isn't true, it seems that the, the mythological narratives, you'll notice, really there doesn't seem to be understanding about any of the chaos that's going on in the unseen world. But then, then, then finally, for my purposes, there's a whole different story now about human dignity. Here Moses comes along and talks about people being created in the image of God. Here's Moses coming along talking about, about God's joy in creation. Here Moses is coming along saying that this world that God has created is something that he says is good. And here Moses is coming along saying that God looked at the people he made and he said essentially, I love you. And God blessed them. And God said, listen, here's what I want to say to do together on this planet. This is, a, this is a whole new story because pagan polytheism had, you know, people, human beings as slaves to crazy powers in the unseen world. But now there's a, there's a different story to tell. If you please, I can almost hear a cosmic sigh of relief. Wait, God is good. God is with us. God is for us. God wants to do good things in us and to us and through us. Wait, that's what God is like. Now the creation story is glorious. But then if you please, odd as it may sound to say this, man sneezed. Man got sick. When God stood and spoke to the first man and woman, he knew they were about to get sick. He knew a plague was coming. He knew the curse was about to happen because he had decided he was going to give humanity a choice whether or not to live out this story that he had dreamed for them. And he knew that the man and woman, if you please, were about to sneeze. And when he said, bless you, in the beginning, he knew humanity was about to get sick and the world was about to get sick, but God was saying, I'm gonna make you healthy again. And I'm not changing my mind about what it is I want. And all of Genesis then becomes the story not just of what God wanted for Adam, but how that God hadn't changed his mind and how that God was going to work through history and, and, and he was going to bless people in spite of their sickness, in spite of the plague, in spite of the sin. God was still going to be there in the middle of the sickness and he still was going to say, bless you. Really, all of Scripture could be read as God working through history and ultimately through Jesus to bring the full glory of the blessing back. God is trying to bring the world back to good health. Kind of an odd way of thinking about this. Uh, pardon me. 
Um, but a couple of paintings I've seen over the last couple of years that strike me for some reason in this, in this deal. Uh, first of all, I don't know how many of you have ever been to, to the Sistine Chapel in Rome and seen Michelangelo's glorious painting, The Creation of Man. It's marvelous, isn't it? Now, we had to doctor it just a little bit. You get over that quickly. But nonetheless, uh, <laughs> Michelangelo didn't draw the modesty bar. Uh, but nonetheless, I just, I just, it, it's kind of, it's kind of easy when you, when you see Michelangelo's brilliance to get an idea of God who doesn't look like that and Adam who he doesn't know what he looks like, but you get the point, right? That there's this majestic connection between God and this man who's created out of God's heart. And it's, it's, it's easy, if you please, to imagine God saying to that guy, you are blessed. But this past summer, uh, our family was in, uh, in Los Angeles, California for Christian's uh, 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 graduation for his master's degree. And one of the things we did is we visited the J. Paul Getty Museum in Los Angeles. And there was a, there was a, there was a, I have a love-hate relationship with museums. I can see a lot of things that don't interest me at all. And then all of a sudden something will jump out at me. And what jumped out at me was, a, was an 1862 painting by a, 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 a guy named John Francois Mier. Who, who painted, uh, who was very, who was great at painting paintings that kind of captured the plight of humanity. This painting is called The Man with the Hoe. You see this guy standing there with his hoe and he's bent over. And if, I don't know how well you can see the look on his face. I looked at this painting for quite some time. But you see this guy that looks kind of broken and it's like the weight of the world is on his, 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 his shoulders. And, and you're just kind of, you're wondering if, if he's going to be able to kind of make it from, from that day to the next day. And, 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 and I think about this guy as, 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 as the man after the curse. You know, I can imagine before the curse, God saying to Adam in all of his glory, bless you, but can God bless this guy? You know what happened in the curse? Before the curse, paradise is the place where God meets with humanity, walks in the cool of the day. They work together, but they work and care about the things God works and cares about. It's work, but it's restful work. It's in line with their purpose and in relationship with God. But now after the curse, after man's decision, all of a sudden what had been so easy now becomes so hard. My question is, can you can see God blessing that man and that woman in the beginning, but can God bless this guy? I think this guy more represents the hum human condition. Man who's gotten sick, man living in the context of the plague, a broken, hurting world. See, now when we talk about blessing, it has to be understood in the context of the curse. But I don't think for a second, in fact, I'm sure from the record of Scripture, that God ever changed his mind about how much he wants to bless us. So Adam is blessed in the beginning, and then Adam and Eve fall. The world 
comes under this plague called the curse. So what happened? Did God say, well, I'm giving up on that? Of course not. Listen to, to the story. I mean, the, the, the next time this shows up in, in, outside of the context of Adam and Eve is just after humanity has gone through its greatest crisis, perhaps in history, outside of the fall. Humanity was so sick that God decided to destroy the, the world, if you please, and renew it, to start over. And after the flood, Noah is standing there before God. And what does God say? Then God blessed Noah, Genesis 9-1, and his sons saying to them the same thing he'd said to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. But God, we're so sick you decided to start over. I know God said, but let me tell you what I intend to do. I intend to bless you. And then history moves forward and God decides out of everybody in the world, he's gonna find someone who he can bless and from whom blessing can come to the entire planet. And he finds a guy named Abraham. And Genesis 12, one has God saying to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Do you, do you get the point here? I mean, this isn't kind of important to God. Abraham, I choose you and let me tell you what I wanna do. I wanna do for you what I meant to do to Adam in the beginning. I'm gonna bless you, 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 I'm gonna bless you. And not only am I gonna bless you, but I'm gonna make sure that from you comes blessings to the whole world so I can say to everybody in the world who's under this curse, even in their brokenness, I will bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you, bless you. And what is said at the end of Abraham's life, now he was just the beginning of what God was up to in this wise, but nonetheless we're told that at the end of his life, Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. You say, well, what was the blessing supposed to be about? Well, what does every way mean to you? And then Abraham has a son named Isaac. What's God gonna do with him? Well, Genesis 25, 11 tells us after Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac. And then we're told stories like this from the life of Isaac, just one of many. Isaac planted crops in a particular land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Okay. Isaac has a son named Jacob and Jacob he doesn't seem very blessable. He's famous for his deceit. He's famous for his heel-grabbing, gra heel conniving, make my own way, steal my brother's birthright, I'm the man, you're not kind of mentality. But one day God shows up with Jacob and uh, in some way that's difficult for us to comprehend, God shows up in, in the form of a man from what we can best tell. And Jacob and God have a wrestling match in the, throughout the night, do you remember? And as they're they're, they're wrestling. Uh, God says, uh, or the, the, the man who's referred to as God says, let me go. Genesis 32. Uh, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What you meant for Adam, what you gave to my grandfather Abraham, what happened to my father Isaac. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And the man said, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Then he 
blessed him here after a while, after all. That's what God really wanted to do anyway. See, this indicates God's plan for all of humanity. Jesus, Jesus, the seed of Abraham, the one through whom the world is to be blessed, ultimately came to bring us back into God's blessing. He came to bring us back into Adam's blessing. Paul wrote to the Romans and said, for if by the trespass of one man, or if by what Adam did, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? What has God been up to from the beginning? God has been up to activating a plan by which we get back what Adam had and more through Jesus Christ. Talk about Abraham's blessing, and perhaps you can relegate that to 4,000 years ago and Abraham and his lifetime, but no, but no, you can't because Paul wrote to the Galatians that Jesus redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So I just ask you, I mean, you, all you need to do is nod your head if it's so. Do, 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 you, do you get, do, do, do you feel me? It's not my common vernacular, but it seemed the best way. Do you feel me? Do, do you, more importantly, you feel God here? Do you feel his heart? What do you think God thinks when he looks at you? What, what do you think? When he looks at you, not perfect you, because there is no perfect you. When he looks at you, sometimes sick you, sneezing you, plagued you, plagued world. What do you think God says? Bless you. That's what he says. He is determined to bless you. So let me, let me offer three things to think about this week, if you'd like to, about blessing. <clears throat> One thing is I, I just I wanna, I wanna set the record straight as to blessing being more than material and physical and financial things. Now, I will tell you that it's, I think it's clear from the teaching of Scripture this is part of God's plan for us. It's just not the most important part that there are bigger things going on than that that have to be understood in the context of eternity. But most of the time, you know, when we look at the scripture that says that at the end of his life, Abraham had been blessed in every way. It didn't mean everything in his life was easy. Everything wasn't. He had lots of challenges. But at the end of the day, he looked at his life and said that he'd been blessed in every way. I can stand here right now and say, I look at my life to this point and I see all kinds of signs of blessing. And I think that we should live with an expectation that God wants to bless us. He wants to bless us physically. He wants to bless us uh, um, uh, relationally. He wants to bless us materially. He wants to bless us financially. But we just have to understood, understand that all of that kind of exists under a bigger idea of what blessing may mean for us in terms of God's economy, the way God's thinking about and organizing the world and the journey we're on now from, from, from Genesis to uh, the, the age to come. 
See, so let me say that blessing is a fact, not a feeling. Remember, as I defined it a few moments ago, to be blessed is to be in harmonious relationship with God who is for us and doing good to us, or pardon me, doing good in us, to us, and through us. But sometimes, let's face it, and let's get this out of the way. Sometimes we face life circumstances that don't feel good and where we might not feel blessed. Let's just be frank about this. And you say, well, how could that be true? Well, the, the, the world is sick. I mean, fundamentally, since the choice that Adam and Eve made, the world has a plague. Jesus came to settle it, and it's being settled. It's working itself out, and it'll finally be settled at his second coming. But, but you, you have to see blessing in the context of of, of a world that needs a lot of help. And um, so it, kind of an extreme example, uh, but, but something that's very much on my mind right now, just to be frank about it. So there, there's a, uh, a beautiful family, been part of our church for many, many years. Um, uh, uh, Paulette and, and uh, Steve Zerpoli. Many of you know Paulette and Steve. Paulette is a, uh, and of course I told them and got their permission to talk about this this morning. They, they're watching online uh, as they do every Sunday morning. Um, but Paulette is a, is a beautiful woman in every way who now a little more than five years ago was diagnosed with ALS. And uh, this beautiful woman has been reduced to life in a wheelchair uh, without being able to uh, physically move her body, the, 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 the only things that you can see uh, that, are, that are working beautifully is that she has a smile to this moment that lights up a room and she uses her eyes to communicate through typing on a screen uh, and uh, she does it quite laboriously. Well, uh, Sharon and I have been out of town last weekend. Paulette had a very uh, tough weekend. And uh, we went by on Monday to spend a couple of hours with Stephen Zerpley. I know their life group was there Sunday night. I know there was a, a prayer group that was there Monday night. We went and spent a couple of hours there. And i just be frank and tell you that Paulette has become, in my mind, one of my heroes. She's one of the most amazing people I've ever met in my life. And here's what I mean. We're, now, now there, there, there's a lot I could say about that two hours, but, but here's the, the point that I really, I mean, here's the point I really want to make. She's sitting there in her chair, and we're there just a few moments, and it's clear that she's working hard to communicate something to us, and all of a sudden out of this computer on her wheelchair comes this voice that says, God is so good. And now, she said other things too, like she wanted to ask me why I sometimes turn my notes the opposite way. I have a question, she said. It took her about 15 minutes to type it. Why do you turn, and then she laughed. And I had to explain it to her. I'm not gonna get into it now. Uh, we're gonna run out of time. But. Here she types, God is so good. It would be an understandable thing for someone to ask the question, how could this woman sitting here five years into ALS 
be thinking that way about God? And the answer is because God is so good. See, Paulette, Paulette, Paulette has the maturity to know that we live in a world where we still feel the results of the curse and where the whole creation is groaning together according to scripture, waiting for final redemption. But nevertheless, in the midst of this plagued world, God is still good and working out his good in ways that are true whether we see it or not and whether we feel it or not at every moment of our lives. Stephen Paulette believe that God can, if he chooses, raise her up from the wheelchair. They're also mature enough to have gone to another stage, which is trust. We trust that a good God is he's working everything out. And with that comes peace. We are, we are content in knowing that God is good in spite of our present circumstance. You have to look at blessings in a realistic way. This is the difference between prosperity gospel preaching and a true biblical preaching that sees a bigger picture about what God's up to in the world at large. You have to hear a pet passage like Romans 8 where Paul said, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. There are present sufferings, but it doesn't mean that there isn't glory that's being worked out in our lives. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? And we know, and this is the context of this famous passage, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We need to know, each and every one of us, that God is blessing us in ways that we are not even capable of understanding. And that though most of the time in my experience, those things show up in ways I think we should be expecting. Again, materially, relationally, physically, financially. That sometimes those are lesser things in the big picture of what God's going in the world and history working its itself out. But in spite of present circumstance, God's glory is being worked out and revealed in us. See, sometimes blessing comes in the midst of difficulty, again, in the midst of a sick world, but God is still saying, bless you. A great illustration from Genesis. Genesis is basically organized. Uh, you see it uh, talked about in different ways, but Genesis is basically, no, but just let me, let's get this clear. No one who's been around here for a while expected me to preach a short sermon my first day back from study intensive, did you? So, you know, God's gonna work through your suffering if I go a little longer than I might normally go along. All you folks in Paramus, it's all gonna be fine. The popcorn's cooking out there. Uh, so Genesis kinda, one way that you see Genesis organized is primeval history, Genesis one through 11. 
And then the story of the patriarchs, Genesis 12 through about, I think it's like 36 or 37. And then, and then it's the Joseph story, which takes up, if I remember right, 13 chapters. The last 13 chapters of Genesis is the story of Joseph. You know, this, so it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the, the spotlight comes on Joseph. And we learn a lot about what God does in people's lives through reading the story of Joseph. 13 chapters in the book of the beginnings. And you, you, most of you will remember the story of Joseph, if not, if not from Sunday school, but from the Broadway show. Uh, Joseph is a young man with a God-given dream. Um, he has brothers who are jealous. They, they treat him terribly, sell him into slavery. And Joseph goes in to be enslaved in Egypt. Uh, things get even worse. He gets... Uh, falsely accused even while being a slave and he gets thrown into prison and then out of prison God raises him to be the second most powerful man in the world the vice regent of Egypt and he saves the world from famine the important thing when you look at that is you you see many years encapsulated in a in a in a in a, in a long sentence but you know that, 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 that though Joseph ended up on the top of the world, there were times when it certainly didn't feel like. He was being blessed, but he had this perspective that said, I, I don't know what life is doing to me, but I know that God is at work in me, and the time's going to come when I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see it. I'm going to see that there was blessing all along the way. And so, for instance, when, when Joseph, this is, a, this is a, a new way of thinking about what the biblical idea of prosperity. When Joseph was in prison, in, or pardon me, enslaved in the household of a guy named Potiphar, this is what Genesis 39 tells us. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. It's pretty oxymoronic, isn't it? How can a guy living in the house with an Egyptian master have God with him and be prospering. Well, I don't know that I can fully explain it except to say that this was true. Joseph may not have felt it, but he was prospering in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and Potiphar entrusted to his care everything he owned. And then Moses, is, pardon me, Joseph is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and he gets put into prison Terrible, terrible circumstances. But Genesis 39, 23 tells us the keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority. Joseph becomes the leader of the prison because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. You say, how in the world can he be in prison and God be with him? And God making it prosper. Because in Joseph's life, God is clearly up to something bigger than his immediate circumstance. And his immediate circumstance is a way in which God is doing good, though it can't be seen, to bring it to an obvious blessing perspective at the end of the story, which is when Joseph then becomes the second most powerful man in the world and he looks at his brothers who had sold him to slavery and he famously says, Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I want each of us to know Whatever our present circumstance, that blessing is a fact. It's not a feeling. 
that God is working things for his good, that God is standing there in the middle of a sick world, and whether you feel it or not, God is saying, bless you. He is. See, sometimes it's not to the end of the journey that we're able to see how blessed we were all along. The word prosper in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word prosper in the Old Testament, which is used some 65 times in the Old Testament, uh, it has to do with a successful venture. Maybe I'll get into this in coming weeks because I don't have enough time to get into it now. But it's the idea that prosperity has to be understood with, with the perspective that comes at the end of our journey. We look back and we see that sometimes, even in difficult circumstances, that in fact God was good and he was doing good to us and in us. And through us, the New Testament word for prosper, which is, if I remember, I'd only use like three times, it means help on one's way. See, God is helping us on our way to our God-given dreams. Many of those things we will see the results of in our lifetimes. Most of us in this room experience God's blessings in profound ways now. But guys, we're not going to understand the total extent of God's blessing on our lives until the age to come. We taste it now. We see it now. We experience it now. But God is working things to our good. Here's my second point, the thing I'd like for us to remember this week. It's that blessings come by grace. Grace, remember, is about what God wants to do. It's about what God initiates. And God wants to bless us. Grace is not about our worthiness. It's about God's choice. And God decided that we are worthy of love and that he wants to be in relationship with us. And God decided that he wants to bless us. Part of the beauty of the Genesis stories as we'll travel through this, uh, at least in the devotional in coming weeks, is that God blesses people who are far from perfect, but he blessed them and he blesses us, not because we deserve it, but because he wants to. The only thing we can do in response to grace is to believe. And as we believe, attempt by God's grace to obey. We need to believe that God wants to do good to us because he said he does. And we need to believe that as we attempt to follow him, that God will work in us to help us live in a way where we become more and more blessable. And here's my third and final thought. It's that blessings are bestowed. Blessings are bestowed, expect to receive them. Here's a passage I read in my devotional time this week. It's the 133rd Psalm, where the psalmist wrote, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Another translation says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Guys, whether you realize it or not, God commands his blessing on you. How that manifests ourselves in each of our lives is perhaps going to look differently and differently during different seasons. But God is for us. And God is determined to do good to us and in us and through us. 
God commands his blessing on us and we should expect to receive it.